0: Hey, chapter 7, chapter 7, Huh? Oh, that's right, hey, try not to be too excited, I won't take it personal. We're talking about confession of sin, we already talked about that. Hey, chapter 7, that's right, I've said it many a times, even in prayer, that's right, confession of sin is the new chapter we are on, chapter 7. For those of you hooked on pages, that's page 79, Tom. That's right, we're still on time, 79. Uh, if you look at it backwards, it's 97, but that's not the page, it's page 79, We've solved enough time. That's right. The top of the page: confession of sin. What is confession all about? What's it all about? Orson, thanks for asking. Let's take a look at the page here. Several years ago, while uh, going to seminary, okay, I was employed along with my brother. Now, again, uh, okay, once again, that's not me. It's the guy who's writing this book. So don't get confused. He, and he says this: uh, his brother Charlie, okay, and they worked at the the chocolate factory there, and the, no, no, no. Okay, now I'm starting to get your attention. Here we go. Let's start over. Okay, several years ago while going to seminary, I was employed along with my brother, Charlie, okay, uh, at a construction company. And he said, one day while we were working at the company shop, building some tools to aid us in our work, I was nailing some boards together when my brother saw me and decided to suggest a procedure or two that would make my job much easier and quicker. And out of insecurity, I replied, Absolutely, bro. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your help. I love hearing advice. Hey, it sounds like we've all been here before. Here's what he said No, I replied in anger that I knew what I was doing and I did not need his help. Now, surprised by my reaction, he said, Okay, okay. And when I, it went back to his work. So, several minutes later, when my anger subsided, I was what? Filled with joy. I felt so much better with my brother. No, I was miserable. I couldn't stand the guilt I was feeling. I knew the solution, but it wasn't an easy thing to do. Finally, I could stand it no longer. I turned to my brother and apologized for my outburst. I then confessed my sin before God and sought restoration of fellowship with him, i.e. God. okay, And the guilt lifted. I felt at peace. And this is what confession of sin is is all about. Now, what we're talking about, confession of sin, I think we get the first part there that's mentioned that we need to do that in a relationship with who? God. This is the part that I think in the church we play funny games with. We also need to deal with confession of sin with our fellow man, with other people as well. And so that's the track record you need to keep in mind when it comes to confession of sin. You need to get right with God and you need to get right with man. In fact, Jesus has some strong words about the importance of you've got to get right with your brother or sister in Christ very quickly before you do all that religious stuff. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, go ahead and turn there. We'll take a look at the classic passage that Jesus talks about this importance. It's not just a matter of getting right with God. If God is convicting your heart of a sin, okay, then you need to get right with man as well. OK, now listen, as you turn there, as you're turning there, the, the whole premise with this issue, the phrase that kept coming to my mind, is the issue of a clean heart. Anybody value a clean heart before God? Anybody? Is, I, mean, I mean, you can have the world's going down. I mean the nuclear bombs are ready to go, uh, go off, uh, things are in shambles, but man, when you've got a clean heart with God, whew, there's peace in that. I mean, people could hate your guts. I mean, they could be at you. They could be slandering you. What? But if you know that you, because you can't control somebody else's behavior, how many of you guys wish you had that easy button from Staples? Pfft, that was easy. I just changed that person and made them act the way that they're. Uh, yeah, that'd be coming handy. It doesn't work that way. We can't control somebody else's behavior. But listen, when you do what you're called to do before God, and you got that clean heart, wow, there's strength in that. So remember, this confession of sin, it is definitely for God and for a fellow man, but hey, it's a great benefit for us. We'll take a look at the negative side in a little bit if we don't do that. But Matthew chapter 5 is where Jesus uh, brings up this issue. And it's like, man, how many times do we maybe just kind of gloss over this one? It's like, oh, yeah, 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 let's keep reading. Okay, and uh, here's what he says. uh, Verse 23, he says, Therefore, listen, if you are offering your gift at the altar... Okay, now now, can I translate this for you? Because we don't have the Jewish temple today. Which, by the way, did you guys know that they've almost completely completed everything for the newly rebuilt Jewish temple today, including, I just got my hands on from the Temple Institute, the actual blueprints for the new temple, which is going to be the temple that the Antichrist is going to go up into during the tribulation and declare himself to be God. That's how close it's getting. But that's right, that's for two weeks as we start on the Bible prophecy study. But that's right. But anyway, so they had the Jewish temple. It was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Okay, so let me, let me, as we talked about a few weeks ago, proper interpretation, right? Find out what it meant to them in the context of the culture that day, but don't just sit on it. Bring it over to today. So I'm going to break it down for you, I believe, accurate to the context. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, therefore, Christian, if you show up for Sunday services, Okay. You're showing up for Sunday services. You know you're doing what's right. You're hanging out together. And there you remember when you step into the facilities, you're right there. Maybe we just finished the time of worship. Maybe we just finished with offering or we're getting ready to take offering. What does Jesus say we need to do? He says that you, your brother has something. If you remember that your brother has something against you, what do you do? I know what you do. Well, that's the right answer, but I've got to be facetious and sarcastic to make a point. <laughs> no, here's what you do. You play politics, right? Because everybody hates confrontation, right? We don't want to do that. No, so here's what you do, right? So what you do is you go tell so and so, and then you tell so and so to go tell so and so, who's sort of a close friend to so and so, the person that you're upset about, right? And so what you do, but you don't even, even that third person, so and so, who knows so and so, the original party, you don't tell them directly what it is. You kind of beat around the bush a little bit and hope through osmosis, somehow they're going to understand what they did and repent. No. Once again, as we saw just a couple weeks ago in our study, why do bad things happen to God's people? That if we get out of line, he's going to give us a spanky wanky, right? Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, you need to go to that person, Matthew 18, directly. Jesus says the same thing, man. You, you, in fact, stop. You've got to get right back to that person. If you remember something that your brother has done against you, uh, is what he says. He says, first, here's what you do. You leave your gift there in front of the altar. Now, first, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Do you see the urgency that's there? That's how much we need to confess our sins. If there is something wrong, if you feel that there's a Christian here at Sunrise or a Christian or a brother that you know, and it just ain't mixing with you. Something's going on. You have to, before you go up there and sing on the worship team, before you get up there and preach that sermon, you better find them and do the best that you can and reconcile. Now, now that's, that's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, we, we get, and that's why I said, I think we get this first part when it comes to confession of sin. That we, ma'am, if God convicts your heart of a sin, what do you do? I wait till the end of the day. And hopefully I'll remember all the sins I committed because the only way that I can confess my sins is in my spiritual closet. No, you. We've talked many times before. As I've taught and I've learned, if God convicts your heart, you deal with it immediately, right? I think we're starting to get that, and that's good. But do we do the same thing when it comes to our fellow man? And God's convicting our heart? Do we go, oh man, I got to take care of this ASAP. I got to do that before I get up there. I got to get before I even make it to Sunday school. Man, God's convicting my heart. Where's where were they at? Right. We are not responsible for somebody else's behavior. I'm not condoning it, but we're not responsible for it. But we are responsible for our reaction to the behavior. Do you understand that? I wish I had that button that we could all just push and we could make everybody be Christians like we're supposed to be. Okay, But two wrongs don't make it right. If God is convicting, somebody has to be the Christian, is the phrase I use. You go, you do what God's called you to do. I, I hope they respond in a Christian manner. I hope there's reconciliation. But worst case scenario, if there's not. okay, The Bible says then you go take another person, then you take the leadership. There's always a way out if you do it biblically. But do you see the urgency? It's not just get right with God. It's get right with who? Man. That's right. Surely that's right. Man is the correct answer there. Uh, As he says, now listen to this. He says, in fact, settle matters quickly in case you don't get it. Settle it quickly, man. Don't mess around. Don't doll around. And certainly don't play politics. Okay? With your adversary who's taking you to court. And you better do it while you're still in the way. Why? Because it will create a lot of problems. Okay? Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, man, you're not going to get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay? If you dawdle around and goof around, right? Well, I confessed it with God. No? How about your fellow man? The longer you get that going on, did you know? Okay, here comes the officer. Oh, here goes the jail. Here comes the fine. Why didn't you settle it before it got that bad? I've used the analogy possibly before. Is called the boiling pot analogy, right? Now, of course, you got to... This is actually something I did, man, when Brandy and I, uh, early on in marriage, you know, when life was utter bliss, you you never argued, you just had intense moments of fellowship, and it was great. Anyway, one thing that I learned as a brand new young husband, hello. Okay, guys, we can learn at least once in a while, is uh, this is what I had. It was uh, you need to, if there's a disagreement... Okay, I've learned that women in general are a little bit more emotional... Anybody agree? Hey, a couple brave guys. Praise God. Okay. Uh, We can all commute home because we're obviously going to be walking home after that. But uh, anyway, so John, you can still get your bus. But uh, uh, in general, uh, uh, you know, we can learn some stuff once in a while. And really what happened was uh, uh, I learned that you got to give a little bit of time, you know, sometimes the emotions are, you know, whatever, but that doesn't mean it goes on for five hours or whatever. Okay. Give it a little bit of reaction time there. But in general, uh, somehow we think that our problems are going to magically go away. Okay, and one time we had this altercation, and, uh, and I was going to Bible college and <clears throat> at, at night and working both of us during the day, and so I, we didn't fix it, although I should have at least reached the topic before we left for work. And uh, I got to work, and it was just, man, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. Deal with it. Deal with it. Call, 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 call. And so I think I, waited, uh, I had to wait a couple hours to my first break, and got her on the phone and had to reconcile. Okay, and what had happened, the analogy that went through my brain was, listen, timing is critical. Timing is everything. Right? If God's convicting your heart, like he said, settle matters quickly. Let me give you the analogy. The analogy that went through my brain was, okay, because it had happened, I think, right before we had this argument, that like the night before. We had left a pot on the stove, cooking something. I don't even remember what it was, right? And it's on the stove. Now, if you notice, it, obviously everything starts off at, on a cold part, and you leave it on the heat, and then it starts to simmer, right? But you keep it under the heat and leave it up there on high, it starts to boil, right? And then you keep it on the heat and you don't remove it and you don't turn it down. Okay, then it starts to foam, right? And then if you don't move it off of there, turn the heat back down, it starts to boil over. Okay, and then if you actually walked away... How many of you guys have ever done that before? And then you come back 15 minutes later, you're excited to praise God the house didn't burn down. Okay, but it's all crusted over the stove. And it's like, man, now you got to get the SOS pad out. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Now, here's the point. And you're sitting there going, why didn't I take it off before it boiled over? And the longer it boiled over, the bigger mess it made and the much... Do you see what I'm saying? So now... Because I had waited two hours to deal with that altercation. By that time, it had been boiling. And it was a whole lot of work. Instead of if God would have convicted me to deal with it when he said to, I don't think it would have been as much work to get back to the point of reconciliation. Do you see what I'm saying? And Jesus says the same thing. When it comes to confession, deal with it. And that's what he said. I'm assuming there wasn't a whole lot of time transpired with his brother. God convicted him. And he says, well, I'm not going to, you know, maybe tomorrow, over the weekend. It sounds like he went to his brother, confessed it, got back on track. It's the same thing with you and I when it comes to confession of sin. But again, I add this, the urgency that was there and the urgency that Jesus used and the urgency of the example he gives here isn't just quickly do that between you and God. It's quickly between what? You and me. And aren't you glad that as Christians, that is one area that we absolutely excel in? Man. Isn't that well? And then we wonder why our relationships boil over. We wonder why there's so many things oftentimes in churches that we have to scrub and scrub and man, takes a lot. It's like, how long has this been boiling? Because somewhere along the line, somebody refused to be the Christian and do what Jesus said to do. We have to come together. We have to confess. We have to reconcile quickly. Because the longer you let it go on, okay, it's going to run uh, the risk of that. Now, here is another thing that I've learned. Hebrews chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there. And then Lord willing, we'll continue on. Hebrews chapter 12. This is what I've learned that it leads to. Okay, unfortunately. You know, as Jesus said, as you get ready to turn there, as Jesus said, he says, you know, if you don't settle matters quickly with your brother... Okay, Uh, you know, you're going to run in the, the officer could get you, the next thing you know, if you keep letting it go, if you still didn't reconcile, here comes the jail sentence, here comes the fine, it's just going to progressively get worse, right? Okay, now Hebrews chapter 12, as we turn there, okay, uh, the context of this passage is the spanky-wanky part, is God's discipline. Now, right after that, I don't think it's by chance... Okay, if we get out of line, it clearly said for many verses there that God is going to discipline those whom he loves. Okay, you and I, the Christian, if we don't keep resisting sin like he says to do. Okay, and so here's what he says. He says, verse 14, this is right after the discipline passage, grab the context. He says, make every effort. Now, that sounds like that should be a lot of our attention. That should be the forefront of our thought in our relationships. Man, I've got to do what it takes, not just quick. But this is how important it is. I got to make every effort to what? To live in peace with who? Just the people I like, because that's a given. No all men, okay? And to be holy, why? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no, what? No one misses the grace of God and that what? No bitter root grows up and to cause trouble and to defile just yourself. What does bitterness do? Man, does that spread big time? Oh, oh. How many guys have ever met a person who's bitter? Okay. How many guys, after that first initial encounter with that bitter person, you said, wow, can we do this again tomorrow? Can we go out to lunch every day this week? I just really cherish our time together. You were so awesome. Are you kidding me? Once you got around that person, not only did you probably look for an escape, Hatch, (laughs) okay, but if you weren't careful, what's going to happen? Their negative attitude, big life. what'd you start doing? Yeah, you're right. Blah, blah, blah. It just you know, it just start going, it started, it's like a deadly infection and it starts spreading. Because it defiles not only that person it goes, it oozes out of them like an illness, like a here's that word, pus. It's just like that mouth pus, it's like Paul says, blah, blah, and then it starts to infect you, and then it gets on you, and then you start doing it, and it says bitterness will defile many. Okay, why? Because you did not reconcile. Okay, you didn't. And let me give you an example. I remember one of the guys that when I was first saved, went to a men's uh, a Bible study. He was my, in fact, this guy, Dominic, he was my very first friend in the Lord. And uh, anyway, so he told a story about his sister that he had uh, you know, grown adults at that time in the 30s and, and hadn't seen his sister in a long time. She lived out of state, I believe. And they finally got together for a family function. And uh, the background was, uh, it turns out, which I'm not condoning, and neither was he, uh, his mom, unfortunately, played favorites, and she kind of favored him as opposed to her. So there's some sibling rivalry going on. Okay, but they're grown adults; that long passed. And so they finally got together. He was excited to see his sister. I mean, this has been years and years, right? And so there, he was just kind of chiding, you know, whatever kind of humorous water. And she, he said, she just absolutely blew up had nothing, first of all, what they were even talking about or even joking about. Just I'm sick and tired of mom and this and you and you guys always this. I mean, he said, she went, whoa. And he, says, he was like lamb blasted with, whoa, what? Where'd this come from? And he said, this passage went through his brain, the root of bitterness. Okay, I'm going to explain something to you guys here in Vegas. This might sound strange. There's these things, this is going to sound really weird. Some people actually on top in their front yards, backyards, they have this stuff called dirt. Listen, but on top of it is this stuff called grass. Have you seen that? It's not rocks, I'm serious. It grows, you put water on it, it's an amazing thing. A couple of you see it know what I'm talking about, okay? That's right. And and that's the analogy. Have you ever noticed that some trees, okay, with the grass lawn, the you you the, the root is just barely underneath there. Okay, and the, how you find it is either you walk over and trip it. You can't see it because the layer of grass is kind of covering it, right? Or when you use the lawnmower. How many of you guys know what a lawnmower is? <laughs> Praise God. Uh, we were, <laughs> last October, we were getting ready for the harvest carnival, right? And we we're going, hey, uh, maybe we could use Grace's uh, uh, thing. We were talking about that. Remember, Pastor Jim? I think you were in there in the staff meeting. And... Uh, and so I said, well, hey, I'm a guy. I think guy thoughts. You know, Orson's around. We can we can build a nuclear bomb if we wanted to. He's that he's that handy." And so I thought, "Hey, why don't we just make our own? We'll make our own train. What we'll do is we'll get somebody's riding lawnmower and we'll get these wagons." And it was like I just, the all, everybody in the staff went. And then it took me about what ten seconds It's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. There are no such thing as lawnmowers, in Las Vegas." But anyway, so when you run over that uh, in the grass, the tree with the lawnmower. <laughs> You know, it's, it, it, that actually happens, you know, because the root is right there. But here's my whole point. You didn't see it because it was carefully concealed by that little tiny thin layer of dirt with some grass on top. But it didn't take much and bang. And he said it was the same thing with her. There was this root and she'd done very well at concealing it. But all it took was just a little bitty little flicker of anything. It just, blah! It just, It just popped out. Okay, And that's what we're seeing is the danger that I've learned. If you don't get quit to confess with God and certainly with man, especially with this part, how, why are people so bitter? Break it down. Because somewhere inside, they're holding a grudge. Can I translate what grudge is for you? Sludge, that's a good one. Grudge, sludge. We could do a poem on that one. I like that one, our song. But uh, yeah, it's it's just yuck inside because somewhere along the line, I guarantee you didn't reconcile. You didn't ask for forgiveness. You didn't seek forgiveness. You didn't confess. You didn't do nothing. Somewhere, some instance with some man, somebody, you are refusing to do what God says to do. You can't make them forgive you. But listen, you got to work at that point of getting a clean heart with God because if you let that thing fester, it's a root, okay? It might start as a little seed and you get away with it for a little while, but you pop that baby in there and then do it again with somebody else and then do it again with somebody else and then do it again with somebody. Man, next thing you know, you got all this stuff right there and it's right here, man. Somebody just says, how's the weather? How dare you talk to me like that? It's like, have you ever, right? Because when people are like that, it breaks my heart because it's like, you know what? You can be set free from that. You just need to forgive. I'm not saying condone what they did. You need to forgive. I've shared it before, but I'll share it again. Yeah, famous last words. We're going to move on. Uh, Cory Ten Boom. Okay, let me share with this since we're on this context. Uh, she went to uh, World War, uh, after World War II, and if you guys know her story, obviously she was in concentration camps and her family was murdered and she went through all kinds of Horrible things, to put it mildly. And so she goes back over there to Europe, and, and what an amazing thing she says, the message that she proclaimed to that burned-out, bombed-out land, after all the Germans had done, right, was the message of forgiveness. She said that's what they needed to hear, that, yes, you can be forgiven even with that. Okay? And here's the person who went through that. But listen, here's what she said. In 1947, I came from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they most needed to hear. Okay, And then I gave them my favorite mental picture. Uh, maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that's where uh, forgiveness of sins are thrown. Okay? And she says, you know, when we f- uh, f- confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever, and then he places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. Now one, right, the Bible says true love is what? You keep record of everything. Record of no rights and wrongs. You know, you just watch. How many guys uh, would love to have a divine delete key? (laughs) It's gone. I don't know where it goes in the computer. All I know is when I hit that button, whether I want to do it or not, it disappears. Where'd it go? I don't know. But that's our attitude to be. No official. Now, listen, we, we get this and we cherish this when it comes to our sins. Aren't you glad? Here, let me read some passages. Micah seven nineteen He, again, will have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You, God, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. God, isn't that comforting? Isn't that amazing? God, we like that. No fishing allowed. But see, that's what the enemy does. Even when we do do this first step when we get right with God... And we confess our sins, he comes in, even though the Bible says in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the Greek, it literally means not even a tiny little speck. It's absolutely nothing zilcho. The enemy still kinds to get us to doubt. Did God really forgive me? Could he forgive me? And we start to doubt. But when you realize that when God forgives our sins, it's completely gone. He remembers it no more, so why are we keeping bringing it up? That's spiritual warfare. Because he doesn't want you to experience the peace and the joy of knowing man. Praise God, it's all done. When Jesus said it's finished, it's finished. Yes, even that one, past, present, future, they're all gone. That's why we have this beautiful, intimate relationship with him. Now, we get that, but how about with this area? Do do, do we cherish that too? That it's no fishing allowed, right? Right? Yes, praise God, no fishing allowed. God remembers it no more, so therefore I'm not going to remember it no more. And so I'm also going to transfer that same attitude to my fellow brother and sister in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not, no fishing allowed. I'm not going to bring that up ever again. One guy had said it before, I believe. He said that uh, he was talking to his coworker with his wife, about his wife, and he says, man, I'm just having some hard time, man. Every time my wife and I get in a disagreement, she gets all historical. And the guy says, well, don't you mean hysterical? He says, no, historical. Well, remember what you did then, and you did that three months ago, and that? You now, what's that a sign of? You didn't do what the Bible says to do. When you, No fishing allowed. Keep no records of right and wrongs. You can't get historical. If you said that you've been reconciled, you've been forgiven, it's done. You should never bring it up ever again. Now, listen, we love it when it comes to God, Notice I'm honing on this one tonight because I really think that's what we need to hear. But do we do that with our fellow men? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you. I don't have to remember that. Wipe that thing out of my brain. Praise God, that's gone. You remember no more. The Bible says we need to forgive each other just as God in Christ is what? forgiven us. And how much has he forgiven us? Rhymes with 100%. Hey, that's right, 100%. So we need to do that to each other as well. Again, we can't control somebody else's behavior. I'm not condoning it. I hope they respond in kind, but if they don't, you have to work at this point of a clean heart, okay? But if nobody does what is right, it'll never get resolved. But I'm telling you, don't sit on it. There's a way out. It's called Matthew 18, okay? You go to that person first. If that doesn't work, take somebody who's impartial, by the way, okay? Not your best friend who's always gonna agree with you, it's just a little ministry tip there for Tony for you. Take in the second verse. And still, if you can't accomplish that, then and only then take it to the leadership. Don't go to the pastor or the deacons first. You deal with it first. Then take somebody who's impartial. Then the third. But there's always a way out if you are lovingly, methodically, and biblical about it. Okay? And you keep no records of wrongs. Let's continue on. Here's what he says. Well, what happens when I sin? He says one of the greatest fears, okay? One of the greatest fears is your blank there? Of many new Christians comes when they clearly sin after putting their faith in Christ. Has that ever happened to anybody? Go ahead and raise your hand. Man, the rest of you, well, we're all even now because you just lied. Okay, so we all sin, yes, unfortunately. Not condoning it, but that happens, right? As we learn to walk and live and keep in step of the Spirit. Hey, you got that one, Larry, thank you. Uh, anyway, it says, many Christians struggle wondering if God will now reject them since they have sinned again. Have you, did you ever go through that as a brand new Christian? Oh... Never get say uh Okay, yeah, that's just kinda of a natural thing. Hopefully by now though, in our study, we have a clear enough understanding of what happens to us when we put our faith in Christ and we realize that God would never Reject us Now, that's what we saw before. I'm not going to go too deep into it again. But the Bible, even outside the obvious passages of Scripture, the Bible uses uh, verbiage. You know, Jesus says, hey, listen, you know, uh, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Uh, no one can snatch you out of my hand. How much is no one? That's everything, everyone, including yourself. Hello. Okay, but the Bible uses terms like born again. Okay, how many guys were born? How many guys have ever become unborn? And then born again. And then unborn, and unborn. No, you can die. But once you're born, it's irreversible. How many of you ladies who've given birth are glad that that, you don't, once is enough. And if you got another one, you got to go, but it ain't happening again, right? It's an irreversible procedure. The Bible uses language like that. Let me give you one more and we'll move on. We already talked about this before. The Bible says, when you, what kind of life does God give us? Maybe, hopefully, we'll get there some kind of life. Eternal life. Okay, so if that which is eternal, Okay, he's given you eternal life. How does it ever become uneternal? It doesn't, on and on again. We are never rejected. And that's not the issue when it comes to confession of sin. As we're going to see, it has everything to do though with fellowship. And we're going to see fellowship once again with God and with our fellow man, i.e. Christian uh, as well. Okay, so that's what he says. He'll never reject us. This is because of the fact that all, underline that, put asterisks around it. Do those fireworks. Yeah, laugh about it, because it's awesome. It's amazing. This fills you full of joy. All your sins, past, present, and future. You mean even that one today? You mean even that one that man, you just seem to keep going back at? I'm not condoning it, but what does the Bible say? Whew, yeah, even that one. Isn't God good? So let's get busy and let's do that for everyone. What would happen if we actually did that as Christians? Now, I not only think we would experience revival, I think people would get saved in mass beyond our wildest, craziest dreams. Billy Graham, I believe, said that he believes that 90%, where's that quote I got? 75% of patients in hospitals would be made whole if they would just forgive. Can I translate that? 75% of problems in churches will go away if we just forgive. Wow. Man, he's going to meddling. I'll move on. Let's continue on. Here's what he says. He says that uh, our sins are forgiven at the point of our faith in Christ. This is your next blank there. Faith in Christ is what's going on there. This is our position before God as his children. We are secure. All right, so then what happens when we sin? Well, hey, that's a great question, Mary. Thanks for asking uh, here's what he says. If we become involved in persistent, unconfessed, is your neck blanks there? Unconfessed sin, God what? Hebrews chapter 12. Disciplines us. Thank you, waking time. This subject will be discussed later in God's discipline. How many guys are looking forward to that one? Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, he says, until then, let's suffice to say that God is the perfect Father who loves us as his children enough to discipline us. It's exactly what's funny. I just got done preaching on this two weeks ago, I think. He disciplines us because he loves us, right? You kids get out of line, what do you do? I'm saying nothing because I don't want to interfere with uh, your self-love and self-esteem and I don't want to damage you. I'm just going to let you journey in this world with total freedom and somehow you'll come out okay. That's the world's way and that's why we have what we got today, right? A lack of discipline. It's because we love our children, we discipline. I said it before in the sermon a couple weeks ago. If you were here, Proverbs—I forget the passage—but actually uses very strong language. Um, If you don't discipline your kids, can I use the word? I didn't make it up. The Bible says it. You hate your kids. Why? Because there's a parameter. Our kids have a sin nature just like us, but they're not adults yet, and they need to be corralled. You got to have some. They have to learn consequences, right, to the behavior. If you didn't discipline your kids, boy, I've done counseling on this issue many a times. If you don't discipline your kids when they're growing up, listen, they might get away with it to a certain extent in your house, but when they get out of your house in society, no wonder it goes crazy. You think the cops are going to put up with that? Right? The judge? Anything of that nature? Fellow workers? Employers? Why can't they keep a job? What? Listen, kids get a lot of the rap. I'm not trying to make us feel all condemned or whatever, but listen, we've got to discipline our kids. Okay, do the best you can, at least while you got him. Okay, let's continue on. He's going to discipline us so that we can share in his holiness. Now, but what about personal sins that we commit each day? Okay, is there something we need to do before God? Well, as we discussed, since all our sins are forgiven, we are secure in our standing before God. Listen, here it comes. But in our family relationship, underline that, in our family relationship to him, i.e. God, as his child, when we sin and disobey him, our fellowship is affected. Now let me break down that little Christianese phrase for you. Okay? Uh, maybe you could even think of it along this. Our intimacy with God. Does that break it down a little bit for you? I say it all the time because I'm still personally blown away by it. That beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the Creator of the universe. That's fellowship. Who are we fellowshipping with? Who do we have this intimacy with? Who do we have this direct contact with? Who do we have this day by day walk with? This intimacy with? God, right? It doesn't affect the fact that we are His children. We are always going to be His children. But that intimacy, i.e., fellowship, as the Christian-ese word is the Christian knees word that's used there, is affected. The key to restoration of fellowship or that intimacy is the confession. There it is confession. Of our sin before the Father, and again trust the fact that when He says He forgives, He forgives, and move on. Now that's another thing. I've actually seen Christians, okay, who've done some things which I'm not condoning, but they are so stuck in the past they can't get over that thing, okay, whatever it is, and they are stuck there. They haven't moved an inch in 12 years. You know, and I've shared it before. Uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul, if you're familiar with him, he's a great uh, theologian. I don't agree with everything, but especially when it comes to eschatology. But whatever, it's a secondary issue. Um, but he's a, a great theologian, I think, and on uh, a, a lot of good Bible doctrine. And he, he shares the example. and We had this young man that came to him. If you remember the story, and he came to him and he says, uh, "Dr. Sproul, he says, I'm just I'm just having a hard time." He says, "Man, I just I sinned, and I I think I just I, I just I don't know if I'm even a Christian. I, I'm saved." And, and so he walked him through, and he says, okay, you know, he shared the gospel, and he said, and you, so you've done that, right? He said, yeah. And, and he, he was just he was trying to encourage him, he said, well, listen, the, the, all means all, you're forgiven, you're his child, and once you're born, you don't become unborn, once it's eternal life, it doesn't become uneternal, just, you know, you confess, get up, and move on. And he just kept going on and on, and finally he says, he got up, and he pointed at him, and he says, young man, stop calling God a liar. Because if we don't take God, when he says all, hello, he said it, I didn't. All is all. Why would we fight at such a comforting truth? Well, we don't want to give people a license to sin like we needed one in the first place. I don't know about you, but I'll take that comforting truth any day of the week. That all means all. Okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay, and so that's what he says. We need to confess that sin for the sake of that intimacy. But when we do, we need to trust the fact, listen, that it's done, it's over, it's cast in the sea, it's remembered no more, no fishing allowed. Now listen, get up and get moving again. How many times have you ever played this game? I remember doing this as a young Christian, man. You would sin, you would blow it, right? And then it would feel like you had to do this emotional penance for three days or a week until you felt better again or it's more out of your memory and you you know just uh, and you almost had to like feel bad before God for a long time before you can get up and serve him again with joy and are you kidding me how many years did I waste with that goofball thing read the scripture man when you confess our sins he is faithful and just and he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness now get up and get moving again that's what the enemy doesn't want you to do absolutely not hey The peace, the peace that I've learned is appropriating the, the truths of the scripture. That when we understand that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the stability uh, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. And that if you want more consistency in your walk with Jesus Christ, that we talked before, you got to get back to the point where you learn to walk and live and keep in step with the spirit. Okay. And he says, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, but here's my point. I, I bring that one up because I've seen so many Christians. I call them this. I call them sideline Christians, okay? You know, we, it's pretty obvious, you know, Christians can get distracted. They're into the world or all that stuff, and they, they put Jesus on the back burner. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Christians who do love Jesus, but they don't appropriate this truth. And so when they blow it, and whatever sin, and everybody's got the sin, or the sin, or I can't be forgiven of that one, or boy, did I blow it big this time, or it made a big scene, and it's over, I can't serve God, I just have to sit here on the sideline for, I just can't. What are you talking about? Did you confess your sin? Uh huh. You meant it with your heart? Uh huh. Get up. We need you. Get up. Are you kidding me? Don't sit on the floor. Hey, if you get the battlefield mentality that the Scripture tells us about being a soldier for Jesus Christ, okay, and that we're in a war, it's a spiritual battle against the forces of evil and the heavenly places and the wicked ones and the evil, and we're all soldiers for Jesus Christ. Would you rather, if a soldier takes a hit from a sword and he oh knocks him down, he's not dead, but he knocks him down, whatever, and he's (laughs) I quit. I should have parred better. I should have swung to the left and not to the right. And he, he made me fall down. I can't get up. Is that the fellow soldier you want to serve with? <laughs> Would you get up? We're in a battle, man. Don't sit on the battlefield. How many Christians are sitting on the battlefield of life because they got tricked and duped into thinking, I, I can't get, just get up. Get up and keep moving forward. We are in a battle. We need you. Would you come on? But see, that's what the enemy does. He gets us to not appropriate the truth that yes, confess your sins. He's faithful and just. Would you please get up, get the sword out and start smacking on the enemy again? Right? That's the power of this. Now again, that's with God. But listen, we need to do it with man. Because if we don't, that in itself is a sin. And again, it leads to bitterness. And that starts to spread. And then that'll destroy relationships in churches as well. Let's continue on. He says, "Let us look more closely at the, what the Bible has to say about fellowship and the confession of sin." Now, again, this issue is with the issue of intimacy. How many guys have ever uh, felt on the issue when it comes to intimacy with God? That uh, maybe even use this phrase, "Well, man, just feels like my prayers only—they don't even make it through the ceiling." You ever hear something like that? Really. Let's go back to the lawnmowers, okay? The lawnmower, I get a better response to. No, right? You just like feel like uh, God's a million miles away, right? How about that one? You just feel like it's just like, man, it's just like <laughs> spitting sand lately. It's dry. It's like, it's excitement's going down the tubes. And what's happening, man? What, I feel like, man, I feel estranged from God. I, I know He's here with me. I'm His child. Uh, I'm saved, but things feel weird. What, I feel kind of, you know, that's what we're talking about. You're His child. Well, because of this unconfessed sin issue, okay, you feel estranged, right? I've used this analogy before when we were on this topic. If your child wrecks your car, okay, and walks to the door, in the front door, you see the car out there behind the tow truck, it's totally totaled, okay, walks to the front door, and your child says, hey, pops, what for supper, proceeds to walk right by you and go in the kitchen. Now, did he cease to be your son at that point? You might have thought about it, if you can rectify this situation. Uh, but no, he didn't, right? right? What do you want from your son? Right now, at that point, how is your relationship? He's always your son, always going to be your son. But how is that intimacy doing? There's some you feel estranged, right? So what needs to take place for that fellowship, that intimacy, to come back together again? You need to deal with it. What do you want to hear from your son? You want him to confess, right? Deal with the consequences, and then you can start working back on coming with that intimacy. That's the same thing that we're talking about here, okay? Why are Christians, I'm, I'm purposely bringing it back to this one too, because I think it's a parallel track. Why are Christians estranged from one another? You don't do the same thing. You might get it right with God, but is it really being acceptable to God because you still got to deal with that other issue? And it doesn't go away. How many guys wish you can go to sleep at night, you wake up the next day, hey, all my problems disappeared. Woo! I haven't found that pillow yet. I'm still looking for ECT. And, and that pillow would be great if I could find that too. I can sleep ahead and all the problems go away. It doesn't work that. How many guys, when you have uh, challenges in your marriage and you have disagreements and, and you don't deal with them, how many glad that the next day you wake up, <laughs> it's magically gone? And then later that day, after five more of those critters, and you still didn't deal with it, you wake up the second day, and those are gone too. It's just awesome. All you got to do is just keep your mouth shut, let them pile up, and then the next day, they're out of there. It doesn't work that way, does it? You have to deal with them. Now listen, we know that naturally in a relationship, i.e. a marriage. How much more in our walk with Jesus Christ? How much more in our relationships as brothers and sisters? Listen, the world doesn't know better. But we Christians should be leading the way by example. How many guys have learned that, try as you might, take this carefully, don't take it wrong, please, there's just some Christians who probably aren't going to be your absolute very best friend. Right? Some people just got one of those personalities that just, wow, that's intriguing and new. Some Christians, it's like, you know what, try as you might, you're a morning person, they're an evening person, and once in a while, they're not appreciative of your happy elf dance in the morning, singing, just a great day, you know, you know what I'm talking about, (laughs) right? It's going to, but as Christians, we should be able to do what the world cannot do, we could show them that no matter who you are, male nor uh, 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 female, slave nor free, no matter what color, no matter what background, no matter what personality, you know, what? at least we get along because we're a family, right? And we, we might have altercations. It's going to happen, but we lead the way by example. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you get out of the mess. You need to confess your sins. You need to deal with it quickly. When God prompts your heart, it's not just an issue of him. You need to deal with that he or her as well. And just get up, keep on moving forward, and serve Jesus Christ. Listen, if they don't respond in kind, you did what you could do between you and God. If they didn't respond in kind, listen, don't worry about it. Hebrews chapter 12 says, guess what? They're going to get spanky wanky. But can I, can, can I give you a lesson? When I first finally learned that principle, I don't have to do nothing. Don't rejoice in them getting a spanky wanky because guess what? You're going to get another spanky wanky. Okay, it's going to happen. So you get to the point where you just, out of love, I get concerned for people. And I don't have to say anything. And I'm going, man, they don't know what's coming. You know, you do what's right between you and God. But you have the confidence that I got a clean heart with God, and you continue to pray and intercede. God, would you please help him? Because I know uh, Corey Tim Boom's story, the ultimate thing was her phrase to forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize the prisoner was you. You want to set this church free, guys? Let's forgive and move on and start doing great things for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Well, that makes us a liar the another 10 commandment says that you shall not steal don't ever take anything without permission how many of you guys uh, have ever done that well you guys already said you're a bunch of liars all of our hands should have went up on that one and for being honest god already knows folks we've all taken something we've stolen something right that makes us a thief another 10 commandment says that you shall not use the lord's name in vain he's not just holy even his name is holy hey folks